Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. Buddy Walls. Today's Bible lesson is on uh, warning. That's the title of it, warning. You know, God gave us warnings in the Bible that we might should pay attention to. Why? Because we should be, as Christians, concerned about the souls of the secular, non-believing world. I would like to share with you a few of these biblical warnings. But what we are going to learn is that there is something else that went along with these warnings that the world does not recognize today. I believe Noah in his day was ridiculed far more than we could imagine. Think about it. He was building this very large boat far from water and it had never even rained before. Uh, there before. Genesis chapter 2 verse 6. Genesis chapter 2 verse 6. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. That is how the earth was watered, not from rain. While the people were getting their laughs, they refused to believe that God had said to Noah in Genesis chapter 6 verse 13 this, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The people forgot, as they sometimes do today, that God is sovereign. What is sovereign? That is the one thing that has the supreme ultimate power. There is no higher. You have heard me teach before. Who is your authority, man or God? You have politicians that try to reach the supreme ultimate power, but they will never reach that goal. This is nothing but supreme ultimate vanity. They are fools. Have you heard it taught that without faith it is impossible to please God? Evidently, Noah's family pleased God because he spared the lives of Noah and his family. I want you to see something else here. Salvation through Jesus Christ was not available to Noah's family. What was available? What they seen and experienced uh through the life of Noah. Noah's faith in God made a difference in their lives. We should learn from that. What we believe, how we live, should be an example to our family and friends. I said should be. But here is something I want the Christian to be aware of. Even though you try to live a holy life, a life close to the Lord does not mean it will always make a family member or friend close to God. Why? This is where New Testament salvation comes into, into the picture. They have to have a personal relationship with the Lord. They cannot depend on mama or daddy or a friend for their salvation, but through the blood of Jesus Christ only. Old Testament salvation was different. I want to read you something out of Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6. The Bible says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Back in Noah's day, when they believed, what they practiced was counted for righteousness. Noah believed God. Noah lived for God, and Noah's family believed in Noah. But New Testament salvation is based on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. 
It is not based on mom and daddy, grandma or grandpa living a holy life. But I want you to see through Noah that you too living a holy life can influence your children, grandchildren and friends. Living a holy life is not done in vain. It has an effect on people. And many times it will not be noticed in this instant society, but down the road it will make a difference. Many times we pray amiss. We pray for the secular world circumstances instead of their spiritual eyes to be opened. There is a big difference. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God and of things not seen yet, seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Noah was not a popular figure in his day, but he was God's man in history's worst crisis, and he was faithful in his prophetic ministry that God gave him. If you share truth today, you will not be popular. Why? Because the truth condemns, it causes people to look at self, and many times they don't like what they see. Now, when we discuss Noah and the flood, we must discuss sin and judgment and alarm, and none of these are topics likely to, likely to make a person popular in, in the year that we live. But nevertheless, we will find out where the Bible takes us as we review the faith and obedience of Noah. But we need to unlock the lessons of Noah. There are some teachers in our churches who are strong on what they call Bible analysis. They are always searching for the key to the book or the key verse uh, of the chapter or perhaps even the key word in the Bible verse. Although it is helpful in Bible study to show the variety in the sections and segments that make up the scriptures, a key is something else. Personally, I do not think our Bible was formulated in that way. If you need to find a key and do not find it, the message remains locked in. That is not the way the Bible speaks to us and guides us. What is that wife's first thought as she begins to read? Is it, I wonder if I am able to be able to find the key passage to the message in this letter? No. That is not her thought at all. She reads with joy and blessing and satisfaction. She, she senses the love that authored the letter. She does not need a college degree to understand and, and absorb the message of every paragraph. In considering Noah's faith, we do not uh, have to search very far for understanding. The Bible gives us a straightforward message concerning Noah. It is simply this. Demonstrate your faith in God in your everyday life. It is evident that God did not say to Noah, I am depending on you to hold the proper orthodox doctrines. Everything will be just fine if you stand up for the right doctrines. No, 
This is not what God demanded of Noah. Yet we have many religiously inclined people in our day who hold to an illusion that the learning of doctrine is enough. They actually think that somehow they are better for having learned the doctrines of religion. What actually did God ask Noah to do? Just this, to believe, to trust, to obey, to carry out his word. In essence, God said to Noah, I want to demonstrate to the whole world that your faith is genuine and that I am a rewarder of those who believe me and trust me. Doctrines need to be enfleshed. What do I mean by that? I have been impressed by a statement on Christian doctrine made by Martin Lloyd-Jones, the English preacher and writer, in a published article. The gist of his message was this. It is perilously close to being sinful for any person to learn doctrine for doctrine's sake. I agree with his conclusion that doctrine is always best when it is incarnated, or or in other words, enfleshed, when it is seen fleshed out in the lives of godly men and women. Doctrine merely stated has no arms or legs, no tongue, and no teeth. Standing alone, it has no purpose, no intentions, and it certainly carries no moral imperative. Our God himself appeared at his very best in the Incarnation when he came into our world and lived in our flesh. What he has been trying to say to mortal man about himself, he was now able to demonstrate in the person and life of Jesus, the Son of Man. This is how we can best demonstrate our doctrine, is how we live day to day in the flesh. How can we best explain faith? Read the Bible, account of Abraham. You will see faith in his life. How can we best explain courage? Read about Elijah and his challenge to the 400 prophets of Baal. You will find courage incarnated in a man. How can we best explain faithfulness? Turn to the life of Moses. Forgiveness? Turn to Joseph. Now, what do we see in the life of Noah? Noah demonstrates many aspects of faith, but the particular emphasis is this. Faith pays heed to the warnings that come from God. This is what I want to emphasize in today's study. Pay attention to the warnings that come from God. Don't blow them off. I am paying attention to Israel, first of all, because end-time events depend on Israel. Israel has enemies closing in fast. I pay attention to the weather. Man is building solar panels, windmills, new air filtration systems, electric cars, claiming they will change the environment. I don't want to bust your bubble, but that's not going to happen. Man will not improve the environment. How do I know that? Because the Bible says time will wax worse and worse, not better. I happen to believe God. I am not one of doom and gloom. I just want to share with you some more warning signs. I hope you're getting your family and friends ready by sharing these warnings. Recently, 21 tornadoes across the southeast that wiped out complete towns and killing 21 people. 2,000 homes destroyed. Earthquakes like we have never seen, killing 50,000 people. Volcanoes on the rise. Floods and forest fires on the rise. Crime daily. Mass shootings. I heard a comment on the national news this week that major crimes are increasing against the uh, Christian community. 
A transgender attacked a Christian school, killing three adults, the principal, the janitor, and a substitute teacher, along with three nine-year-old children. My warning to the church, are you watching the warnings from God? In the kind of world in which we live, men and women can easily come to the conclusion that so many alarms are false alarms that there is really no need to be concerned. But when God sounds a loud and commanding alarm, we should listen and exercise concern. When God said to Noah, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, Noah believed God and acted in the light of the serious nature of that alarm. When God warns a nation or a city, a church or a person, it is a grievous sin to ignore such warning. In conservative Christianity, we believe that the Christian message does not indeed contain an, uh, does indeed contain an element of alarm. Not all Christians believe this. Some have been taught that the Christian gospel is good news exclusively. The only way some people try to explain the full meaning of the Christian gospel is to quote one verse. Acts chapter 16 verse 31 says this. Acts chapter 16 verse 31. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. That is it. That is all there is uh, to it, they say. But what I have noticed in the Bible is that we should have that we serve a balanced God. Anything we see a positive, there is also a negative. But some people like Joel Osteen believes that only in the positive and that that is why he never preaches preaches sin or repentance. It is a make me feel good religion. That is why he has such a large church because people is not interested in the truth. But I want to mention something here about the use of language. It is impossible to make certain definite statements without bringing to mind that which is exactly opposite. If I should say, for example, I was introduced to one of the largest men I have ever met, I am making a comparison in my mind. I try to describe the man as large, and I cannot do that without having also a small man in my mind. If a small man did not exist, I could not be describing the other man as large. So when the scripture tells us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, there comes to our mind the fact of mankind's lost condition. Why should I have to believe in Christ to be saved? Because I am lost? Because I am a sinner? Because I have believed the devil and all of his works unto near damnation? I am alienated from God. You know, even in Scripture, the most beautiful and rose-colored verse of all, there is an element of alarm uh, sounding continually for the lost. It's found in John chapter 3, verse 16. Look at this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Salvation is there, yes. But the word perish is plainly there too. And the alarming loss condition of the human race is there. This is the basic reality of our faith. The reality of believing and trusting the Christian gospel always has been and must continue to be a gospel of alarm. 
The Christian gospel cannot always be a gospel of honey and sweetness. It follows that there is a kind of faith that responds, that believes in the soundness of a warning that comes from God. The gospel message is a gospel of hope and good news to those who respond and believe. But the gospel message is plain to those who do not believe. John 3.18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Noah accepted the reality of God's warning of judgment to come. He demonstrated his faith by acknowledging that God's way is the best uh, and the best of all courses of action. But why did Noah fear? Now, some voice a negative reaction to the expression in Hebrews that declares Noah was moved by a holy fear to do all God had commanded. The English language uh, does not always give us a proper perspective of the word fear. If we are familiar with the Bible and the many godly men and women who have trusted the Lord, we know that holy fear is a kind of faith that's closely associated with high moral wisdom. It can only be that part of wisdom for a human being to fear irrelevant or of spiritual loss. It is a wise kind of fear that is willing to consider the meaning of permanent and eternal separation from God, the source of all good. Noah demonstrated a high quality of human wisdom as well as spiritual concern when he was moved to trust God and his word. Noah did not argue about his rights. He did not argue about God's assessment of man's nature and man's violence. He did not argue about God's course of action. He simply believed God and then obeyed God. And then his family saw Noah's faith in action. Should we not live the same way? Trust God, obey God, and show your family and friends your faith in God. Matthew twenty four thirty seven says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, we've talked about the rapture before. A day is coming sooner than later. Jesus will come to get his bride. The rapture will take place. So I want to ask you a question in closing. Are you 100% sure that you're going to go to heaven? Now, if you're 35%, 50%, 75%, or even 99% sure that you're going to go to heaven, I've got some sad news. You're not going to make it. You have to be 100% sure that you're going to go to heaven. Did you know the Bible wants you to know that you have eternal life? It says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you may know that you have eternal life. But the very first thing you have to do is recognize that you're a sinner. We are all born sinners. We were born with that sin nature. We adopted that from Adam and Eve. And then, after we recognize we're a sinner, we have to do something about that sin. We have to repent of that sin. That means forsake that sin or give it up, go another direction. And then, believe in the finished work of the cross. Believe that Jesus died, that he went three days in the grave, and then rose again, was resurrected, 
when we believe that with all our heart, mind, and soul, the Bible said we are saved, or what the Bible calls being born again. And the Bible says you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven unless you've been born again. So I'm asking you that today. Have you put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ? If you have, you're a citizen of heaven already. We, we just haven't got there yet. We have eternal life. I hope you think about that, and we'll catch you down the road next time. Have a good one.